Hey friends, this is Chidima, also known as the Type A Hippie, and this is the Type A Hippie Podcast, Cheekast episode 62. And so this is the second installment of the Survivor Series arc that I thought would be awesome to share with you all because there are many people amongst us that um, are healers and they may not call themselves that, but because they've done their own work, it inspires other people to do their work. And we end up, I think, moving in a more healing, compassionate, uh, living in integrity space. So I'm on with a dear friend whom, it's so funny, I do these podcasts and I'm like, this is a dear friend and we've never met in real life, but we hope to. So I'm on with Rachel Bertner. She's been on the podcast that she cast before, um, talking about some really amazing things and the work that she's done within the prison system in the state of Ohio, uh, working with perpetrators of sexual assault and sexual abuse um, crimes. And so... Welcome back to the Cheek Cast. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. Me too. Good to be back on. So tell us in your own words, Rachel, who you are. Who I am. Oh, wow. Um, I am me. I'm going to jump right into what you're asking me to be speaking to, which is a recovery of survivors, a strange word for me to use because really all I've wanted in this whole process was to be myself after a long history of abuse and situations that I've learned were just inherited situations of women passed down to be silenced and have to accept that this is the way it goes and this is how people that love you treat you. There were still so many parts of me that got lost that when it's who am I, it's just so nice to be able to take every label off of that and just say I'm myself. I know that what that looks like to other people is I am a whistleblower. I'm a truth teller. I am funny. I am someone who is just engaging and unjudgmental and here to stand as source of what's possible in a world where we own everything that's happened and continue to love and heal and move through understanding why situations have happened and move forward. I love that. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I started to ask my guests to say, you know, to describe who they are or to share who they are with listeners in their own words, because oftentimes we attribute names, labels, titles, and we meet, oftentimes it's with the best of intentions. And yet, it's still a label, a title, you know, (laughs) a category, a box. And um, so I'm glad that you kind of are shedding all that. So walk us through, because I think it's really important to go backwards, to go forward. So Mm -hmm. what, you know, what happened and what did you feel was um, something that was inherent to you being, um, I think you are, you said that you identify as a woman inherent to being a woman for you and part of your familial culture or heritage, if you will. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, for me, 
The abuse in my life started in a relationship with someone that I have no problem still to this day having love for, that I was able to, too young, uh, pick up that there was something wrong with our dynamic and by wanting to search too far into it of wanting him to confront his own childhood issues, it was complicated for me still as a child to then understand that what was going on was I was being very abused and silenced to keep a whole situation private. But my body then was the receiving end of a lot of abuse, a lot of sexual neurosis. And as I became a adult that was not able to live with how my body felt because of what I had, what had been put inside of it, that became a process of then me negotiating trying to understand why I couldn't feel whole again in a culture that wanted to silence me about abuse and then work on the fact that I am drinking to numb the feeling or I'm starving to numb the feeling or I'm purging to numb the feeling. And then I just create all these, get more labels where I'm still asking for healing from rape and abuse and molestation. But everybody now is treating me for anorexia, bulimia, alcoholism, bipolar. And really, it was just I wasn't allowed to ever have a feeling and express it and be devastated that I couldn't tolerate a lot of hate and anxiety and somebody else's feelings they couldn't process in my own body. So what I inherited was a diagnosis culture that kept just saying, this isn't important, forget it, move on, numb the feeling, let go. And I was still then horribly confused. Why would someone who loved me do this to me? And so it was a, it was messy. All of that is really, that's a lot. Sure. Yeah. And so that's what I realized in my, that I'm not unique, that one situation starts to perpetuate a lot of coping mechanisms that get a lot more attention and we never really get back to source. Because again, if we attack the source of two kids that had no business doing what we were doing, we were going to have to, some people were going to have to answer some questions of why were we in the situations we were in as children. As I became more of yeah, an adult, what I inherited was a culture that was, it's not my fault, it's theirs. And I wanted to be more responsible as a grown up and always go backwards into finding healing for not just myself, but who abused me. Yeah. Yeah. So what did the healing look like or what did that um, process look like? Obviously you don't have to go into details that, um, you know, don't work to share at this level. And it's also, I'm asking the question just because someone's listening that needs to hear just what you have to say, you know? Yeah, well, I am, I do spiritual counsel and I'm a yoga teacher and a healer and all of that has been a result of finding my healing. It's been years of a process that has involved a lot of movement, a lot of screaming, a lot of writing, a lot of singing, a lot of dancing, crying, talking, connecting, being with other women, working with men who have been uh, part of the other side. I believe in two-sided healing. So I've worked with a lot of men who are incarcerated, who could speak to me. Uh, my main healing has come from that I've been driven to do this. Uh, my best friend and I share the same abuser. And I have always known that, and I never knew when she'd be ready to wake up. 
And as she has found healing for herself and has admitted through that process, we have been able to speak through it and identify our relationship together and heal together by admitting really hard things and then processing what it all means. And as women learning how to separate from what happened and what felt like a child versus standing as an empowered woman who has survived some shit, absolutely. And then saying, how can we move forward and help some other girls and help some young women and get women on this vibration? I've learned how to feel my hips. I had to get back in my body. So sure. I had to grow one back, you know? It's been, yeah. yeah, you know what's been healing has been sitting with a bunch of women who tend to also be healers, teachers. Uh, they're my favorite people in the world. And we eat and we laugh and we are kind and we move forward. And that's been the ultimate healing is to recreate a self that I love being. That's awesome. That's awesome. So what do you do in terms of, you know, passing it on and helping other people? Like what kind of yoga are you teaching and um, other avenues where you are providing space and grace for other people to heal yeah okay i uh do i do my own thing with Mm. recovery and yoga and so i have my own spiritual counseling and body work i work in studios i work online i do online sessions i do private coaching i do flows and workshops and I'm just a every single day of my life is dedicated to this I teach women different modalities whether it's the tree of life or the eight limbs or that they're magic whatever with the whatever works to remind a woman every single day that she can reclaim herself and giving a taste of that feeling I work very hard every day at making sure that I show up human and connecting to another person that no matter what's happened to me, I'm going to be an example of knowing that sourcing love and kindness and compassion is what is healing to laugh again and to connect again and to forgive men. Another thing that is huge in my process is that everything that's happened to me does not discount for the great men. Um, Even the guy that uh, I'm so proud of hearing that he's doing his own work and owning it and being an example of what happened. This is not who I am and this is not who I wanted to be. And so that's really amazing. I stay in my community of keeping the vibration going every single day of how how can we take the healing further? And so that is where I stay present is at home and not running away from what happened. I'm not going to stop talking about it. That's awesome. So how do you self-care, Rachel? What are the, some of the things that you do? Because I, I found that a lot of the people I speak with are pretty amazing. And overwhelmingly, I'm pleased to say most people have a practice um, yeah. for self-care for themselves. Some, very few, do not. So what is kind of your practice and what do you do for self-care? Um. I, my, I mean, my practice is my spiritual discipline. My, uh, my self-care is God. Uh, what I identify as God or source, um, my self-care is praying, which for me is movement. And I am on my mat, which my mat does not have to be an actual mat. I go into nature and I'm grateful. My self-care is gratitude. Um, I have a, again, fantastic group of women 
that my self-care is laughing with them and my best friend and I eat cake scraps in the middle of the night and that is self-care. We wake each other up to play. I am just so lucky that my self-care is love. And so I make sure every single day that I'm getting it from my source, which is myself and my tribe of babes that just elevate it every single day. Um, and I eat really good food because that's become really important, especially in a recovery that, yeah, for a long time, I wouldn't eat anything. And I feel my body on a daily basis. Yeah. Oils. I do all of it, girl. The crystals, the oils, the right, the pressure points, the fascia release, the cranial sacral. I got a team of witches on my side. And so magic is my self-care. <laughs> yes. I love it. So what are some things that um, people are maybe misguided in your opinion when it comes to abuse, survival, oh. recovery? Okay. Um, this, no, this is an important one. Victim shaming. Uh, one of the things that I know is very misguided is that actually I don't encourage anyone to force anyone to tell because life actually gets a lot worse once as a woman I've found you try to tell on your experience or my experience. Um, I always use the example that if you have puppy, if I, you have a puppy and the dog is about to get beat and it starts shrinking in the corner when, because somebody's about to kick it, that as long as it whimpers and stays small, everyone will feel really bad for that puppy getting beaten and they'll give it a really nice home and everyone will be really scared of it. But if it is a puppy that lashes out and bites before somebody kicks it, that puppy is isolated and everyone's like, it's dangerous and leave it alone. And all it did was try to protect itself. So what I have found in my recovery path is that I have had to be my biggest advocate over and over and over and over and defend myself until everyone stopped paying attention to the state of my offender and actually gave a shit about how I was doing. And I had to really fight for my own healing and the right to feel my emotions and to be allowed to just be angry because I had every right to be angry. And that wasn't crazy. Um, people don't, I know, misconstrue that being a quote unquote victim is really, really hard to navigate because I wanted to be allowed to be empowered as a woman and not seen as a shriveled puppy in a corner because yes, something did happen without my consent, but that happened a lot in my life. And now that I'm ready to fight back, it's not the way that people also believe that a victim has to press charges or a victim has to, that's, that's not how this always goes that some, some people, but myself and other women included that it's more complicated than that. Um, it's not as easy as the situation of someone abused me and now it's over and they say, I'm sorry. And we all move on. It's that trauma has everything that led up to what causes the situation. And then everything that happens after the situation and asking somebody to step into victim before they can become survivor. That's also years of work. People, people misconstrue how long this work takes. It does go a lot faster, though, when you have people to be kind to you. That does sure. go a lot faster. Sure, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, I did trauma-sensitive yoga or okay. trauma-informed yoga training along with yoga therapy. And one of the things that was astounding to me, and it totally makes sense, is that, um, you know, when we, when we experience trauma, it resides in the body. 
And yep. if it doesn't have any room to move out, right, or like it just stays and it manifests in any number of ways. And I call it, it sounds like your experience as well is the, it's almost like a perfect storm, right? Of, yep. you know, the trauma happened, whatever that looks like. And so it can be sexual abuse. It can be physical abuse. It can be emotional abuse. It can be mm-hmm. an, you know, a motor vehicle accident, but the trauma happens. And then if there's no, pathway to healing, um, no opportunity for healing, then it just kind of stays there and bounces around the body. And we oftentimes self-medicate, right? And, and that looks like, and that can look, I mean, so, and I say oftentimes, and I say what I've seen or what I've experienced or what I've heard people, because every experience is different. So I, I, I won't, quantify and say this is this goes for everyone but it tends to reason that you know unless there is some work done how do people you know and then people are just navigating and walking around the world you know um with things that have happened to them that they haven't had an opportunity to actually explore or navigate well my favorite thing that i work with people on in reconditioning is reconditioning sensation because we won't really go into the brain like the amygdala the sure, hippocampus, sure. Like all of that but that what more of it is is having to reintroduce just shorthand the answer is is that if someone has abused me what was really helpful was to then have a situation with someone where i could reintroduce safe that if my body is being triggered by a smell, because when I'm abused, there's a certain smell, let me sit in a room with that smell so that my body doesn't go into a meltdown just because of a smell, because it's going, wait, don't let this happen again. Sure. And right. So the self-soothing after abuse and trauma of how can I even calm down enough to trust another human? Because you are right. Once trauma occurs, there is no prayer to go out into the world and, and experience it like the trauma didn't happen because what I need immediately after is a reintroduction to what life felt like before it happened. Give me back what was taken away, which is my feeling of safety and security and knowing who I am. And so it has been, it's a really interesting process to watch women because the other thing is that they usually you don't, well, I didn't know how much of myself I had lost because until especially I did a lot of work with men in prison where we had uh, one man specifically, I sat with 23 men who, uh, <laughs> this was not yoga. We were talking about the energy of violence. And I was mm-hmm. saying, where do you feel anger? And being able to actually talk to them about that if they did have a release where I hit her and now I feel better, where did the feeling go? And we actually talked about that of what happened once one man specifically, he was like, you know, I said, well, what, what would happen to her after you left? And he looked at me and said, I don't know, answer it. What would you do once I left? And I asked him who got me off the floor. He was like, I guess you, I said, there's your answer. I had to rely on myself. And I had to, but then I'm making up the story. As soon as he leaves, I'm going to start to tell myself the story about, okay, it's okay. He still loves me. It's fine. And those things also then are part of trauma recovery that somebody has to go, you know, that wasn't okay. Right. Right. That wasn't okay. And you had every right to, you didn't have to cry though. It's good that you did cry, but I'm really sorry that happened because that wasn't okay. Somebody shouldn't do that to you. Right. You don't have to accept that. 
So yeah, it's been um, that because that's another misconstrued thing is that with this recovery is that people that are traumatized can never be strong afterwards. That they're just going to be a victim forever. Not true. Uh, yeah. What a way to not live. Right. It, it, yeah, it's, it's very true. I mean, some of the strongest people I know have overcome something and overcome something really significant. Um, and not just one thing, right? All of, all of the oh, things, <laughs> right? All of the things. Um, all of them. All of them. Yeah. So it's just, um, you know, I, I volunteer for um, Safe House Center here in Washtenaw County. And every time I'm on shift or I'm on call, sometimes it's 24 hours, sometimes it's a little bit shorter than that. And um, I always, my thought always at 8 a.m. when I like shut off the phone is that um, I really wish we didn't have to exist. I really wish people didn't hurt people that they claim to love, mm. right? Um, mm-hmm. And within mm-hmm. a second of me saying that, I always think, you know what? I'm so grateful that the divine has us existing because <laughs> to be able to be with people in their darkest hour or to be <laughs> able to, you know, answer the phone when the police say that someone's being released from jail or, you know, <sighs> go to the hospital yeah. or go to jail to see, um, a potential survival, like it's just, it's just a beautiful thing. And those aren't the only components. It's just, it's, it's where the area in which I'm serving. Um, but yeah, it's really something to be able to see people who have withstood and overcome such traumatic, horrendous experiences. And they come out on the other side and say, hell yeah, I'm here. You know, I survived and I'm not only surviving, I'm thriving like you, you know? Yeah. When you, when you say that, what's, what is wild to me is that I never felt safe like ever. And I have no problem. Like when people are like, did you ever think that what you're doing would be possible? And I'm like, no, I wanted to be dead because I genuinely couldn't exist. I had no idea what I was doing. No one was listening. They were listening, but not hearing me and they couldn't provide me what I needed. And now I'm not only providing that for other women, but it blows my mind that people say, when I need to feel safe, I think of you. When I need to feel safe, I call you. That even men who, you know, and they do, they would joke with me. Some of the inmates would joke with me and just be like, I'm kind of scared of you. Like to genuinely just have enough fire and passion to be able to say to another human being, like, I got you, like, this is okay. And of course, you know, well, you and I both know, like healer wise, you know, again, that's a divine gift, like of having to stand as sourcing that energy, that emotion for somebody that, girl, you got this. But that is, it's like I said earlier, probably just a few minutes ago, one of my favorite things to do is get with my babes. And I line them up in front of me, but I look a woman dead in the face and I say, you know, you better stand like you survived some shit. Plant your feet, girl, like elevate because that's a woman. Women, we stand up and we are really standing up right now. And that is some stuff. And men are standing behind us. The rise of the feminine is balanced by the masculine that this isn't, it's just something like you're saying that you're answering the phone for these women. I haven't made a call. Honestly, again, that's another misconstrued thing for victim shame that people think that women defend other women. No, they don't. Not all of them. Not at all. They, no, with some of these men, I'm like, who raised you? 
One of the hardest things I've had to go up against is women who want to silence me because they're like, not my, not my son. And it's like, he's not, he's his own man. Thank you. But where were you actually? And with women, yeah, I don't need to be shamed by another woman either. So it's one of those things that we're working at this together, but it's a really beautiful thing that's going on right now with all of these. Yeah. You know, I almost feel like it's that like the meek shall inherit the earth kind of thing where it's like, Oh, y'all didn't yeah. ever think we'd stand up. Did you? A you plan to the on mad. Staying weak, that's right? right. That's right. You know what? There is a shift happening. And, oh, yeah. um, I mean, even the fact that on January 20th for me, I don't know about anyone else for me, <laughs> I was devastated and horrified and on the 21st, right, there was an uprising. And that didn't mean that there weren't even some battles within that uprising, but there was an uprising in the world, you know, and it wasn't just in the U.S. It was all across the globe, which is a really powerful thing. And yeah, it's, you know, I always, I get on my soapbox and I, and I want to do a little soapbox and then acknowledge you because I know that we probably have to wrap up pretty soon. But, um, you know, I hate, and I don't use that word lightly. Um, when people victim blame and victim shame, it, it, Mm -hmm. it, it turns my stomach because if it were you, you would not be saying these things likely. (laughs) Um, you know, and so it doesn't matter what someone was wearing. It doesn't matter what they were not wearing. It doesn't matter if they were inebriated. It doesn't matter if they were stone cold sober. It doesn't matter the state of the victim or the survivor. At that point, it doesn't matter what they're doing. It matters. Everything is on. The reason that sexual assaults happen is because sexual predators assault people that are minding their business. That's why it happens. You know, um, the reason why sexual abuse of children happen is because an adult took advantage of the power differential between them and the child yes. and thought likely that no one would ever catch on. No <laughs> one would ever notice. Right. So that's why it happens. What's done in the dark generally comes to light at some point. It might not be that day. It might not even be that year. It might not be even that century, that decade or their century, but it comes out and, you know, I, it's just, I want people to stop and think before they run their mouths about this because like, pause, (laughs) am I adding life to the situation or am I adding death to the situation with my Mm -hmm. words, you know? Um, Am I helping someone come out of the darkness into light or am I pushing them further into the darkness? So we just got to be mindful and I will drop the mic there, but I want to acknowledge you, Rachel, because I remember when we first connected and I was reading some of your story and we were just kind of vibing on the pre-call during the episode where we had previously um, spoken. And I was just like, you know what? She's a badass chick. And I'm so <laughs> glad that the divine allowed our paths to cross. And it just kind of works that periodically we'll text and check in with each other. And it's like perfect timing. And um, I just want to acknowledge all the hard work you've done Thank you. for your own healing, 
But when we, you know, my voicemail says, um, nurture yourself because those around you benefit, you know? So when you, when I take care of me, the world exhales a little bit. When I exhale, Mm -hmm. the world exhales a little bit because we're all on the same, largely we're all on the same wavelength or energy or, you know, space of grace. Not always, but... Not always. Just look at what's going on around us. But in the best, highest, um, most loving, you know, um, experience we are. And so I'm incredibly grateful that even though we haven't met in real life, that we are connected and we're sisters. And um, amen, babe. And I'm just. I'm just so glad. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're doing the work that you're doing um, because it's really helping to heal the world one exhale at a time. And I really, I really love you. And I'm, I'm just so grateful. <laughs> Thanks, Ma. This is a great way to start my day. So grateful. She's in Oregon, friends. She's, she's doing <laughs> some work. And so <laughs> we're recording at like 7 a.m. her time. That was the initial um, but I got started late. So cool. All right. So I will include how to get in touch with Rachel in the show notes. If you need her assistance with your own journey, your own road. Um, she is amazing as you've heard, and she might be just the right person for you because everyone connects with people on different levels. And so every coach, therapist, healer, body worker, yoga teacher, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, fill in the blank, personal trainer is not going to be perfect for you, but she might be just the person that you're um, seeking. And as a result, I would love to connect you with her because that's what I do here. (laughs) Thanks, Ma. My pleasure. All right. So let's see. Um, All right. These are two perfect stories. So I've got two stories for y'all friends um, from the Humans of New York stories. And it's an older, handsome gentleman, I might add. And it says, I always say that I've done a life sentence in in installments. My behavior funneled me into the criminal justice system at the age of 17. I've done three state bids and numerous stints at Rikers. The cycle of recidivism is difficult to break. When you come out of prison, you have nothing. No home, no family, no money, and no job. The only thing you have is your social standing. And if your social standing in jail is perceived as higher than that on the outside, sometimes it's preferable to go back. In prison, they called me pops. I got privileges. People respected me. I felt valued. When I got out, I had to start over. And then... The second and final story for today, my children's father was physically and emotionally abusive. So by the time I left him, I had very low self-confidence. I needed something to boost my ego. One day I saw some firefighters handing out recruitment material on the street. So I decided to give it a try. All the female recruits trained together because we had to work harder than the men to pass the test. We trained for six months, three hours a day. I'd go straight from my job to the training sessions. I'd bring my kids with me. And when it was my turn to do the drills, the other women would take turns passing them around. At the end of the six months, I was 120 pounds of solid mass and I passed the test easily. 
I never became a firefighter, but those women are still my friends. Oh, oh perfect. <laughs> I love that story. How amazing is that? <sighs> I love it. So good. Okay. So friends, thank you so much as always for love, the love and support. Um, like, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, share it with your loved ones. Um, I love you all. So I honor the place within you where the entire universe resides. I honor the place within you of love, of light, of truth, of peace. I honor the place within you where when you are in that place in you and I am in that place in me, there's only one of us. So have a gratitude filled day. Thanks so much, Rachel. Love you lots. Love you, babe. And namaste. Namaste, darling.